0: This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 17th of December 2019. And I'm joined again as always by my co-host Dave, who is munching on something.
1: He is. He's just (laughs) finished munching on something in time to say welcome to part two of our trilogy on remote working.
0: Yes, I mean, we're both very much part of this uh, way of the future. It's a uh, question mark at the end. And uh, with the interview, we hope to shed some light on whether or not this is actually the way of the future or not. I know the choice that we made, but uh, listen to the interview. Listen to the excellent insights that Rodolphe is giving us in this interview. And uh, make up your own damn mind, I guess.
1: Yep, let's let's get into uh, part two of the interview with Rodolf. So how on both, on both sides of this, for the employer and the employee, um, yeah, remote working offers a huge amount of flexibility, but how can you, I don't necessarily want to say police, but how can you ensure that neither side of the equation is sort of taking advantage of each other? How do you avoid sort of misuse of this flexibility, this great power that we're offering?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a real question because, again, uh, as we said previously, even someone who did amazing in an office may feel unsettled remotely. So it's not always linked to someone's work capacity. It's, it's the environment plays in. So a few things I've seen be done successfully in the mm-hmm. wild uh, are to have regular checkups that are two different folds. So you have your weekly checkup on what's actually being delivered. So we'll call it the operational or delivery checkup with your manager or your team lead. And then you make sure that on a monthly or twice a quarter, you have a chat with the person about how they're feeling, where do they see themselves going as a, as a person in the organization and outside of it potentially as well. What I mean by that is having a career chat that goes outside of just are you happy delivering pro- project uh, X, Y, and Z, but really about how do you feel about working remotely? So I feel like, again, you got to be super intentional about asking people how they feel, because otherwise mm. you're not going to know. And uh, it's it's down to your company policy as well. Some companies are very happy to say, if you're not happy with us, we'll actually go as far as to help you find another place to work. And other companies are saying, well, we'll just, you know, sort of squeeze you until you're you're good to go so (laughs) everything happens depending (laughs) on management style but what i feel is people need a lot of support and they need a lot of uh question to be asked on a regular basis so they need to hear from you on on a regular basis
0: yeah but it's a very loaded and difficult question i mean if my boss asks me are you happy here okay am i going to tell him no because that means i'm fired in three months (laughs) Possibly, maybe, (laughs) because if I say no, oh, he's not happy, so he's not doing his best work. So there's a a big ball that can start rolling there. So I always find it a very difficult question. I always try to balance it out, uh, saying, yeah, there's some things that could be improved, but this is very good. And in the end, it gets so mushy, there's no answer happening anymore. So uh, you need to be very sure of yourself if you're doing this remote working thing and be able to actually disassociate yourself with your own position to have those conversations in a, I don't know, civil civil way, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I struggle so with that, I, honestly. I think,
1: I, I think that's a really good point. And I, I think some of this comes down to, we mentioned um, uh, transparency a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. I think. And I think this is one of the, like, trust and transparency in my mind go kind of very much hand in hand. And Mm-hmm. I think probably we need. We can talk about management generally, but I think you need to have both, as you said, Yon, like the confidence to be able to to say, well, no, actually, I'm not not happy with with this or that or something else. Um, without the fear of, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, not necessarily recrimination, but, <laughs> no, but no, with no. being it's able sad. to give like yeah, yeah, honest yeah. feedback, is really difficult. It's really. It, it relies on a, a, a huge amount of trust between the employee and the manager and the organization as a whole, because you can trust your manager, but you might not necessarily trust the people above that person. And the, there's a real kind of chain that if that yeah. chain of trust doesn't exist, mm-hmm. you know how, how honest can you really be?
2: That's true. That's yeah. very, very yeah. true. Um, I've seen several teams trying to get uh, anonymous feedback as well through collecting, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Slack aggregating tools and trying to get as high a rate of participation as possible, saying, we don't know what the output's gonna be, but <laughs> if leadership has <laughs> enough humility to actually take that in and think it through, then it feels like it could a good compliment for folks who may not be ready or uh, you know, to, to go all out with how they feel in the current situation. So cause it's anonymous oftentimes you get mm. a bit more a few more pointers as well yeah but
0: anonymous also allows for abuse of that system right because then i can say whatever i want because nobody said it was me so it's like everything is a double, a double cutting sword or anything I mean, maybe yeah, we should yeah, use all these machine things learning the things for customer churn and see if we can do employee churn predictions <laughs> hey, it,
1: it, it already happens oh, like, God, people no. are already using it <laughs> um like if we so there's Company I worked with who used um, a whole bunch of different data sources, one of which was um, they were more of a a physical uh, on site company and they were tracking things like uh, people's leave requests and also that you know t- building entry and exit times and you know they found like the more people kind of you know knocked off early came in late took longer lunches and things like that 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 was kind of a very strong correlation towards this person is checked out and they you know they churned within 6 months kind of thing so yeah that that part of it is definitely already happening yeah, but, but those
0: things are typically things you can't measure on the remote workers
1: well, you Legitized. say that, check but in, then out. yeah, um, you can. You know how how are, how active are people on Slack? How active are people on okay? Email? I'm fired. You know <laughs> Google Drive. Um, you know the whatever the systems are, they all have metrics that they can spit out. Um, and so that that interactivity, participation, mm-hmm. I think is actually very much something that could be tracked. Uh, That's right. My mm-hmm. guess is that a lot of companies aren't down that rabbit hole very mm-hmm. deeply yet, but I, like, I, I can't imagine it'll be too long before before that is very much uh, a thing that remote-first companies are doing to gauge their employees' mm-hmm. engagement, for want of a better phrase.
2: So they are, um, just to give some perspective as well, uh, a company mm. that I won't be naming, but that took it to the extreme of hiring remote workers and placing them uh, working for their clients and they do um, you know your camera is on so they can see you whilst you work they do screen share they do mouse tracking they do check in and out of your activity and 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 they can interrupt you or have you know question pop in or say why your mouse not moving anymore (laughs) and it's very extreme but it happens like it's it's one of the flavor that i personally don't enjoy and refuse to work with but yeah. it's uh-huh. certainly one of the flavor we won't work that is present out there as well do people actually want to work in those conditions well some people see the financial upside and oftentimes those companies start with an attract- attractive offer uh, dollar uh-huh. wise yeah. and then they distract money from you as uh-huh. you demonstrate poor be- poor or, or uncompliant behavior which is very very tricky but oh, that God. has happened Georgia, and I see well, then
1: 1994 here we go <laughs>
2: I think them advertise all the time. So, yeah, you've got to understand what you stand out for as well in terms of values as an employer or as an employee yeah. too and, and mm. see what you can bear there.
0: It can't be a long-term. I mean, th- that employee churn must be huge at those companies. That, that kind of stuff. I mean, even if you think, the okay, you okay, give me a lot of money. Clients, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. give me a lot of money, so I'll try it. But after three months, I'm fed up. I mean, I, that would be me anyway.
2: <laughs> <laughs> churn
0: I, is high. I'm,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, oh god no, the, the very <laughs>
1: thought of it gives me, gives me kind of strange shivers. Yeah. No, no, terrible. There is, there <laughs> is
0: one thing just, I'm just uh, occurring to me, is uh, it, yeah. it might solve itself because uh, as Rodolphe started talking here, that, uh, at the beginning of the interview, uh, the, the whole idea of doing the remote working is because then you can hire talent, you can get talent from wherever they are, you aren't uh, restricted to a certain uh, city uh, or region. Now that means that remote workers should, I'm saying should, I don't know, I don't have any empirical evidence, but should be people that are good at what they do, that have a certain reputation, that um, are above the mean, let's say, because those are the employees that will be picked by those companies, because if it just wants anybody, they'll take somebody close by, don't need to have a remote Mm -hmm. worker there. So, people that do work remote should have some, um, how do you call that, trust in their own capabilities and have more assertiveness, perhaps, to be able to withstand the, uh, am I doing this right? Uh, I mean, still, I'm feeling the guilt. (laughs) That's not going away, but I can deal with it. I can live with it. So, maybe we're blowing this out of proportion and it's not that big of an issue anyway. So, if any of the listeners want to chime in here, you know our email address. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I think it's it's a really it's a
1: really interesting sort of um, area around um, the management of you know remote teams, um, remote workers, and being a remote manager as well. You know, you you don't have that you know continual day in day out view of you know your people just glance through your your office window and and be able to see them all. Uh, beavering away out on on desks that are or little pods that are just outside your door you again it like, goes back to trust to a certain extent you need to trust that the people that you're hiring are you know are getting stuff done yes you can do mm-hmm. you can definitely do you know check-ins and um you know check on progress and make sure that you know things are tracking in the right direction but i feel that there's a there's a significantly larger degree of trust required in both directions, both from the employer and the employee when you're talking about remote working. Yeah.
2: True, true. Totally say that, yeah. Yeah, but then, in
0: in, in your experience, uh, Rudolf, the the employer, how do they measure when the employee is producing acceptable amounts of whatever they're supposed to be producing? I mean, from a employee standpoint, I can do my own measurements. Okay, if I have two meetings per day with customers, I'm doing okay. If mm-hmm. I'm slack, I have my own set of rules. But for the employer, I have little invisibility there. I'm not in management. So, uh, do you have anything, anything you can share about how employers, managers, the the C levels, whatever, how they look at this and how when they decide this employee is a good remote employee or this employee is a bad employee remotely?
2: Sure. So, oftentimes, what I find is that what works well is managing based on objectives, right? Um, yeah. what's interesting here is that starts very, very early. Even when you start putting this, um, job description template out beyond the skills a person can demonstrate beyond their communication, um, skills as well, you want someone to be hired for, uh, to de- deliver things, to join a team, to join a pod, to join a circle, you want them to join and start contributing. So I feel like. If you get to be very specific with what a success is for the person you're hiring, then it's much easier to set benchmark from both sides. So I feel like you can not only have a buddy in the chair mentality, but you have to get a very clear mission. Uh, some people achieve that through the uh, Spotify squad um, methods where you have folks who join to work on a specific project. So since they are on a project or a couple of projects, it's fairly visible how they contribute. Some people go through uh, short management or, or development projects, just six week cycles, and other go do the OKR method where they sort of mm-hmm. gauge your contribution on a quarterly basis based on how much you've been contributing. Uh, what I would say is that you need some sort of a benchmark, either three or or extra that you may have in place to make sure you can come back to employers, um employees, sorry, mm-hmm. and say, well, this is where we like what's been happening. This is where we could be improving, and so on and so forth. So, what I say is, it's all started with job description, and then you've got to keep regular check in on how the person is doing. And it works best if there's a clear goal to attain. Mm-hmm. So,
0: when you're a new company trying to start this remote working thing, are there resources that they can use to set up those initial benchmarks? Because I'm assuming this is a, a, a iterative process, right? You start it, you have expectations. Yep. They either get met or not met, and you
2: model further on, right? That's right, absolutely. And it also depends how synchronously and asynchronously you're working together, of Mm -hmm. course. Uh, Oftentimes in small companies, especially for developers, you may be reporting directly to the CDO and he or she will be sending benchmarks. Uh, So there are models that are different, whether you're 550 or 500. And the cool thing is um, now in 2019, Other companies have started to do those Mm -hmm. things. So if you go to Basecamp, for instance, they have been publicly sharing their methodology to develop product in six weeks. Um, And otherwise, you can sort of go and find remote startup that are a good benchmark. So Dois, for instance, is sharing great things. Uh, HelpScout.com is sharing great things as well. So there are different benchmark on how to work with your newly hired employees.
0: So, 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 just to be sure, if I just get up at eight in the morning and send my boss a mail to make sure he knows I'm up, and then at five PM I send him another mail to know I'm still up, that's not enough, then.
2: I, <laughs> I don't think so. Well, that's talking in and out of the building. Now. <laughs> <laughs> just it's it's, it's, you know it's really,
1: it's really funny though, because what what we've just talked about in terms of how to how to manage performance, you know, how to. Uh, you know, what metrics to use for remote employees' performance? Actually, there's there's nothing different there from managing employees' performance generally. It's just that it's it's a lot of organisations essentially end up cheating that whole performance management thing because, well, you know, the the manager can see you in the office working away, so it's probably fine. Whereas Not doing
0: something with. Re-
1: well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but whereas with remote employees, actually, you know, those the same exact same principles apply. You just actually need to do them rather yep. than just fudge them and go, "Oh, yeah, I've seen you in the office all week. You know, you must have done good things. It'll be fine." Uh, so it, I do, I do find it, I do find it rather amusing when we're talking about measuring, <laughs> you know, remote employees' performance. But actually, what you need to do is just do what you should have been doing properly yeah. this whole time in the first place
2: you always end up with more uh, processes and more rigor as Mm -hmm. well to put into those processes when you go remote. You have the flexibility to hire from anywhere, but you've gotta stick to what you've started. And if one employee enjoys, you know, um, asynchronous versus uh, having this one hour stand up each and every week, you can be flexible that way. You can be ex- adapting to the person's style, but at end of the day, you still need to keep pointers, you still need to have a benchmark there. And the funny thing here is, if you look at uh, Scott Adams' Dilbert cartoons mm-hmm. from the early 90s, they're making fun about the very same thing we're talking about right now. So the early telecommuting experience, <laughs> early 90s, 30 years ago, almost, uh, are pretty much the same question that are <laughs> popping up right now.
0: Okay, so you're saying we're doomed. Not, we're not advancing. No. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <But>
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a circle. No, it's, all right. it's,
1: it's fine. Yes. We'll all move to Ebalonia.
0: No, I like that <laughs> it's a circle. It's going ha- to have ebbs and flows. It's gonna, the needle's going to swing left and right and then eventually <laughs> end somewhere in the middle, perhaps. But this is still new, right? This is still something that's totally in, yeah. in flux and in discovering how this is supposed to work and how to improve on, upon it. Very true. Very true.
1: Yeah. So we touched on this this a little bit earlier, but... Uh, I'd kind of like to revisit it and go into a bit more depth. I mean, what what are your views on um, how r- remote employees can uh, help separate their sort of work and their home lives? It's kind of very easy to get sucked into into work, at, you know, all the time. So, what what are some of the things that you've seen uh, used to help with that? Yeah, that's
2: a huge one. I feel like environments and habits are really important to remote workers I find that the paradox of this is for instance you hear about digital nomads a lot in the press and it's a very mm. sexy lifestyle to leave uh, to bring your laptop to the beach and work from there yeah. but interestingly most remote workers I see the vast majority are creature of habits with home offices with pets and and that are very very well set up and the reason I say that is that, when you work remotely, there are so many commitments and you need a stable uh, setup where you feel good and you can separate yourself from working at home is that it's important for you to find your bearings. So what I've seen work well here is understanding where you go for what tasks. For instance, you can totally mix and match home office, coffee shops, and co-working spaces. You've gotta decide where you're most productive You've got to understand which are your best hours and also a few operational things such as where is the internet solid, where can I be in a quiet space and so on and so forth. But I find that if you ask a thousand remote workers, you get a thousand different answers as to what works for them. The most common answer I see is I get an extra room in my house with a door that shuts where I can do my office things in there and then when I'm done, I walk out of it, and doors open, everyone knows I'm done or on a break. So separation can work well that way, but there are literally thousands of combinations that can be found in between.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jon, what what works for you?
0: Uh, At the beginning, when I started this, I had the the shut door principle, uh, just for myself, and not in the, you can't get in here because I'm working, but more of a, at the end of the day, I shut the door and I'm done working. It's really symbolism that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But through the years, I don't know, maybe I'm doing it the wrong way, but I don't make a segregation anymore. I mean, we're talking about work-life balance as if it's things that are different. But today, I mean, at the level that I'm working, uh, I mean, I'm not a junior entry level job anymore. I've got some responsibilities. I've got some things to do. Uh, I do just stuff not. in the Who weekends. Yeah, let that happen. Uh, <laughs> now it's just—it's a part of of my life at this point where I don't really need the segregation. But I also find it very mm. easy to say no, and that's important. Yeah. Being able to mm-hmm. say no because it's very hard at the beginning because you feel the guilt. I'm working from home. I'm I'm getting this special treatment here, so I have to do double my best. So whenever somebody asks something, I'll say yes. Mm-hmm. I that's something I struggled with before, and that's why closing the door was okay. The door is closed, so I know I say no, that was symbolism. <laughs> but now I just okay, uh, you want me to do this? Look in my calendar, I still have this to do, I've got some free time available. Uh, no, nope, not gonna happen next week, and that's something I think you have to mature into.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, I, I sort of, uh, I'm either terrible or very good at separating my my work <laughs> and my home life depending on depending on what's going on and and how important it is um but i'm also one of those people as as you said John who will just say like no I, I i can't do that i've got other stuff yeah. going on uh it's i think it does take a level of maturity before mm. and and confidence before you can yeah. get to that sort of state so i can imagine it would be very difficult coming into this mm-hmm. to to feel that you could say say no or say yeah. i can't do that this week or you know th- it's something that will that will need to happen next week or the week after or whenever it can be slotted in it's it's very very much something that i think comes with time and experience yeah
2: yeah take some adjustment y- you guys may remember this video that was viral on the internet of the person doing an interview for the bbc on south korea and then uh their kids walked in the door mm-hmm. yeah. and then their spouse or someone just <laughs> came in to grab the kids and put them off camera and i felt like a lot of people remember that little video uh thinking that's what remote work is you know it's, it's messy because <laughs> you've got folks walking in and then <laughs> a lot is happening but i think as you said it takes quite a bit of time to find your footing as to uh, how is it going to play with my house life? I'm uh, going to be taking a, taking, going for a run midday. Am I going to go for a nap? Um, am I going to be able to do things differently? And we really have to do it and practice it to find what's best for us.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I
1: think there's definitely no, there's no one kind of silver bullet answer here. This is definitely one of those things that, it varies from person to person what works yep. for people, and also how much separation that they they feel they need. I think definitely some people feel they need you know the ability to totally separate, whether it's that sort of closed door, I have a separate room, or whether you know they have more of a blend and they're very comfortable with with living that way and working that way.
0: Hmm. True. Yeah. Uh, one last thing for me, for, for the work-home balance thing is I, I've got a principle, and I'm actually wondering if you guys agree with me or not on this one. For me, a, a very principle is, uh, priorities are important, and my family life has top priority. Because I can always yeah. find another job. Finding another family is harder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's an excellent principle. It's one that I uh, I'm, I, would struggle to say that I completely follow, but I really, I try very hard to. I mean, but it's a yeah, principle. No, yeah I, I agree I think that's I think that's absolutely right and I think that that's another thing that probably you know requires some maturity to, to and some confidence. experience to reach and confidence yeah to reach that sort of mm. that sort of stage
0: yeah, Rodolf, but, your thing.
2: I absolutely love it I feel like it's it does take some maturity to be able to tell your boss that you know you, you have To step away to take care of a family matter, but I couldn't agree more. And you know, interestingly, I run a Slack community over at Remotive, and the parenting tips channel is a very popular (laughs) channel because you've got folks from you know Brazil talking with South Korea and talking with folks from Arkansas and chatting about how do they mix their work life together with their uh, home office and family, um, you know family life as well so it's it's a very much of an ongoing conversation but of course of course uh, family first so that that felt like a very healthy priority to have I'm sorry Dave, I cut you off there
1: no no I was gonna say that uh, um, someone uh, someone here did an interview a uh, first interview with somebody uh, potential uh, candidate who was uh their their child was sick at the time and you know they they didn't want to push the interview back um so they just they did the the first um sort of hr interview with their um uh, with their sick child and the the comment from the person running the interview was they were just they almost wanted to hire them immediately because their ability mm-hmm. to both be On point and clear and coherent and you know answering all the questions that were asked of them and give really good answers while you know actually almost literally juggling an ill child that wanted attention and and everything else like that so we'll we'll get onto like remote working (laughs) stories a little bit later but I think this just fitted right in here and I, I think that that to me that that to me says that. Everything is right in the world, and and that perhaps we perhaps we will make it.
0: Wishful <laughs> <laughs> thinking. <laughs>
1: uh, probably, probably. Um,
0: um, so sorry, can I just when, when can I just can I just uh, when Rodolfo was just talking there, yeah. he was talking about people from Korean stuff, and I think it's a good time to ask the question about culture. How I mean, if you're going uh, mondial with your employment stuff, uh, how big are the Cultural hurdles, because there's this, there's this. I'm not sure if it's a myth or truth. I don't live there. That Japanese people work 24 hours a day, 25 if they could. Uh, Korea, same thing. In the Western Europe sphere, it's different. Uh, do you have any information about clashing cultures causing problems, or is that just a benefit to the whole thing?
2: Yeah, interestingly, I, I got to work with um, you know large non-software companies working in international teams. And they had more themes and more friction and more problems that I've seen in remote startups or remote companies. And my explanation for this is that oftentimes when someone applies to work at a remote startup or company, they have a common language that is English for starter Mm -hmm. and a common software culture or interaction through learning code or interacting online, doing marketing, HR. And there's a bit of a... um, I guess, almost a U.S. bias on the way to the business, on a management that is based on objectives and not presence. So I feel like folks who reach remote companies uh, are already have an understanding that things will be done an American slash Anglo-Saxon way. Uh, so that tends to lesser friction in my, in my own experience. But certainly you've seen organizations that are outside of tech and have offices and folks remote in different places. And that that has been different because the way you express yourself, even your level of enthusiasm is different. Mm -hmm. Um, Other Frenchmen, when you say something isn't bad, well, that's probably mean it's good. Yeah. Whereas an American will say, this is absolutely awesome. Awesome. So, have <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> probably seen that with the UK as well. You see, the enthusiasm level doesn't match at all in a call if you don't have the awareness of what the other person's expecting. Yeah. So, from communication to presence, to level of excellence as in attention to detail or what actually matters in a project or saving face, you get a lot of different elements that come into um, culture there.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be Europe or U.S. I mean, I'm a Belgian national. I lived in Belgium for a long time. I spent, I'm now living in Holland, the Netherlands, for 10 years and working here. And the, the simple cultural difference between two countries side by side, I mean, it's a two-hour <laughs> drive away at most, is already very, very present and visible. And you can feel, you can feel it. There's, there's some misunderstandings happening just because, yeah, that simple difference in how you do things, how you approach things.
2: And anyway. that's true. That's true. And, yeah. and just last thing I'd say about that is that oftentimes what is interesting is how a company is going to structure the value and what they stand for as well. Like, for instance, when I worked at Buffer, a remote company, mm-hmm. they had a huge emphasis on being optimistic and, you know, being a glass half full type of company. So you tend to be an individual across all culture that are sort of like that Mm -hmm. because you sort of hire towards that Mm -hmm. or or just hold off from getting talent that's not quite uh, valid to the filter you're using right now. So it's interesting to see that oftentimes companies attract more of the same as well and that's sort of distilled from founders and value mentality there
0: yeah it's yeah, a good one i mean uh, i'm just gonna talk about my, the company i work for now last day actually one of our tenants i think i said already is uh, come as you are just to avoid that mm-hmm. it's a kind of a biased thing right because you, you reinforce the message itself and you forget all the rest exists just they look at okay <laughs> can you do the job are you good at what you do there fine you're wearing sandals with white socks we don't care
2: that's
0: true no you shouldn't that's right. my wife says. yeah you really shouldn't it. no my wife <laughs> says that i, I do <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, but you shouldn't. Anyway, um, so we, we've obviously we've been talking a lot about remote working, and we've all been doing it for uh, a certain amount of time. But you know, should should everybody should everything uh, be remote? Um, is 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 this the inevitable conclusion of all working life?
2: That's a good one. I feel like my answer would be not necessarily. I'll say yeah. I'll say it is possible that in five years' time, most of top tech talent will be willing to work remote, and it is possible that on-site companies will have to pay premium for people to agree to commute to go to an office and to drive an hour across town. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a shift may be happening. I'm hugely biased because I have a dog in the race, Mm -hmm. of course, (laughs) but I truly say that some people. And I've seen that happen over and over again. Do prefer working in offices and do prefer working side by side. Um, Andreas Klinger, who's head of remote at AngelList, has this say where he say that um, uh, creation is better in person. Inter- it- iteration is better remote. Mm. So for him, mm, nice. he say that getting things off the ground is better with three people on whiteboard, whereas iterating is probably best remote. And you'll find different flavors, but end of the day, between your expectation and people's personality, I feel like remote may become a big share of the employed market, especially in tech, but I don't think it's gonna be all-encompassing and changing uh, 100% the office employment there. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Yeah.
0: No, I was actually thinking about things like uh, a uh, factory works and uh, shops and, I mean, the butcher and the baker. How can you make those things remote? And then I was thinking, yeah, but optimization is happening all over the place. Uh, I don't do my grocery shopping anymore. I order online, they bring it to me. Uh, so I'm wondering, I mean, at the moment you said most of the uh, big tech jobs will be remote in the next uh, couple of years. Am I right in thinking that at the moment it's very much just the, the not just the, uh, people working in technology, but people working for technology companies that are working remote. Because I look at banks, at financial institutions, at uh, other kinds of things, I don't see it happening there
2: that often. It, am I, Is that just my myopic view there? or? I'd say that it's much faster. The change is very fast in technology, it's a bit slower elsewhere. And from a retail standpoint, what I feel is that we're exiting the era of shopping, which used to be driving to a mall and shop there and just fill your trunk and go back home because Amazon is here and and e-commerce is coming over. Mm -hmm. What's different in retail is that we often go to shops now for the experience with shops like Mm -hmm. Sephora or shops that have personal information available that can really get the human factor you're lacking and that it's something that's going to be very hard to do remotely. My local supermarket here in France helps me to do self-checkout. So I just scan a bunch of articles and I'm through the door. So there are gonna be less cashiers, uh, supply chain is gonna change, but if I really want advice on um, clothing, or on perfume, or on something I'm not very good at, I think I still want that personal yeah. experience. So I feel like a certain number of jobs will still stay in retail, but mm-hmm. some other things can be done remotely. And the last thing that's funny about this, for when you think about technology versus other side of businesses. If you think about salespeople, they've been on the road for the most part. I mean, effectively, if you're a good salesperson and you work in territories, you are remote at most times. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about lawyers and accountants, chartered accountants, you get to email them twice a week, twice a month, twice a day if you're in trouble. But end of the day, they're not in the office either. So IT has been externalized for the longest time. Uh, accounting, law, and sales. So we're coming to terms with the fact that central function can be done externally at companies, and that to some extent we can do the same thing with uh, our software development, but throughout the entire company.
1: Okay. So when when you, were, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, working with actually a, a non-tech company, and, and remote working. And, and they, they struggled with uh, a bit more than some of the tech companies because they didn't have necessarily a, a common language throughout. And I, I thought that was a really interesting sort of insight. Is there? Is, can you share a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. Uh, in this particular instance, it, it was a case of uh, cultural mismatch, I'll say. Because what mm. we said at the beginning of this podcast was that ideally remote working should be you have no advantage not going to the office and no advantage going to the office. So it should be a plain level field. Whereas for those companies, if you are if you have an HQ in New York or in Paris, that's where the decision are going to be made by definition. So there's a huge priorities balance between between someone sitting in the ivory tower at HQ and anywhere that's remote. So that's an extra context to get a factor in. Because from the get-go, it's a bit of a mismatch. Like you're away from the decision-making center. So that's been very, very tricky. And on top of that, when you got folks who have uh, a certain cultural expression, you've got to juggle with other cultures that may not understand, appreciate, or or just fit in the type of feedback you've been giving them as well. So it's it's more about the cultural and the social element than the technology element itself, especially with context. where is. we are a american or dutch or french company that is a very strong identity as is for people that are not part of the culture just yet to to adapt into
1: yeah no i think that's i think that's really, really important well that's that's part two done and dusted this one uh, went longer than i think we were expecting but uh Content was great. Discussion was great. So we were happy to continue rolling through it. Um, so again, thanks to Rodolf. And uh, anything else from you, Jan?
0: No, as you said, thanks to Rodolf for the great uh, contribution again. And uh, the final installment, The uh, it's not a continuation, but a finalization at that point, I guess. I don't know. We will be happening in two weeks' time with the last part of it. Yep.
1: Stay tuned for Return of the Jedi. <laughs> and that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. We're also on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all that YouTube stuff. You can also go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, mainly Yon, using the at cars tag... And send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephants.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then.